Today on the show, we're staying in formation, goddammit, and holding the line just like Skian told us to. Welcome to Winds Howling, a companion podcast to The Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novel. I'm Brett. And my name's Abu. And every time I hear Get In Formation, I think mm-hmm. of Beyonce. <laughs> Do you know that song? Yes. Yes, of yes. course. I know. <laughs> every time it comes up formation, it's just, oh, okay, ladies. Now, ladies, I'm not going to sing it. But yeah, there you go. I love it. I love it. Well, we're going to be channeling the spirit of Beyonce this episode as we dive into episode two of the spinoff series, Witcher Blood Origin. As always, some very quick reminders for our listeners before we dive into the episode. First and foremost, a spoiler warning. Today is going to be spoiler-free in terms of Blood Origin. So that means we're talking about episode two and not episodes three and four. But A fair warning as always, there will be light book spoilers and speculation because we'll be taking into account the larger Witcher canon from the books, from the video games, and from seasons one and two of the Netflix Witcher show. So just be aware of that. And of course, we love to hear from you. So email us at windshowling at loreparty.com. Last episode, we challenged you to send us your funniest dick jokes to make Brett laugh. Continue doing that. And also send us your thoughts on The Witcher, windshowling at loreparty.com. So that takes care of our housekeeping, Brett. As always, let's dive into this episode today by starting off with a summary, and then we'll talk about some key takeaways, and we'll wrap up by sharing our favorite quotes and our favorite scenes. I'm ready. Let's do it. So episode two begins with a dwarf woman breaking into some sort of tavern or smokehouse or something in order to track down a certain elven sergeant of the Golden Empire. She finds her way into that building after getting rejected by the elf at the door and wreaks all sorts of havoc in there that we don't see. The camera pans across the outside of the building and all we hear is screams and crashes and bangs. And she exits covered in blood not having found the elf she was looking for. Apparently, he wasn't one of the ones she banged up in there. She turns to her (laughs) hammer at this point and says, quote, don't worry, love, we'll find him. Hold up. I gotta gotta stop you here. Yeah, yeah. How have you not mentioned the elves dialogue after what you brought up last week? (laughs) Do you remember? You have to remember the elves dialogue. It was along the lines of fuck, fucking, fuckity, fuck off, or fuck the fuckity, fuck off. Yep. And so when I rewatched it and heard that again, I was like, well, Boo's going to have that in the notes. And uh, what? I don't. I don't. I'm not in here. Okay, so you must just be used to it. I'm already used to it, right. But yes, that's a great note that we once again start an episode with some (laughs) S-tier dialogue. Yeah, this one to me was more so of him just, the guy got into it. Oh, oh, yeah. That isn't, he's not an extra because he's voiced, he's like a voiced extra kind of character like that. Yeah. And this dude's like, man, I got some lines of Lord Origin. I'm going <laughs> to fucking go for it. Because he's like, and fuck, fuck it, the fuck. And I was like, dude, like, like, man, you are going for it there. Like, that is a fucking racist ass elf. <laughs> oh, definitely. He does, he does not want this little dwarf trying to get into his little haberdashery here. Yeah, definitely. The 
most racist on-screen representation, the Emmy goes to this guy for his for his portrayal of this elf. Incredible stuff. This guy got it. I'm also so yeah. This is Meldoff right here. Yes. Right. Yes. And it's not just that she's talking to her hammer. Mm-hmm. The hammer is talking to her. Mm-hmm. That's right. This is the cold open to this episode before we get to the title card. And we're definitely immediately told that this is one quirky dwarf. And we're in for a ride when it comes to Meldoff. I do like the way it was also shot, too. It very easily could have followed her inside and showed her killing people doing all that but instead it just pans above and there's nothing on the outside you just hear the sounds and the screams Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. obviously she's kicking ass in there and then walks out i'm like okay that's a good way to show that that she's you know a badass or she knows how to fight without actually showing it yeah i love it and a great way to save on the budget for that day too (laughs) absolutely that seems to be a lot easier to shoot yeah than not maybe the fight coordinator was hung over that day and they're like all right we need to re uh, redraw how to shoot this scene right That's okay. The fight coordinator deserves to party like the rest of us. All right. So after the title card, we join Balor and Aridin, who are relaxing in a Zintrian bathhouse. And they are discussing their plans to arrest the merchant guild leadership as a way to get the merchants in line because the merchants are raising prices and it's causing them headaches. And Basically, their solution here is to strong arm the guild leadership. Now, in this conversation, Balor also orders Aridin once again to take care of this whole Fial Ayla situation before it becomes what he calls a powerful story that the peasants can latch onto. And that's a theme that this conversation hits on a couple of times, and that both episode one and episode two have hit on a number of times. This idea that stories are powerful, and that stories can change the world. I found the writing to be a little on the nose here, and a bit navel-gazy, but I can't disagree with the sentiment, so I'll let it pass. Yeah, it was mentioned in the first episode between these two same characters. And yes, when it says right here, it's almost as if this was written to be a weekly show where you would have gone a week without seeing it to refresh it instead of like most people in immediate binge afterwards, because even later in this episode, they're kind of bring it up as well, talking about hearing stories and latching onto a story and it being a good story. And yeah, it's one of those, you're right. It's, it's very on the nose. It's not just so, you know, I don't want to jump out the window. <laughs> it's not that bad or anything, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it is one of those like, okay, yes, it's it's a story. We know this is a powerful story. You're telling a powerful story. And it's also a story within a story because, again, this is the storyteller telling this to Yaskier. Right. Exactly. I just think a little bit of subtlety here could have gone a long way. But Also, did you think did you think Aridin was just super uncomfortable in this? <laughs> he's just sitting there and like his his hands are between like his legs and he's kind of really like tensed up. And he's like, this is a weird motherfucker next to me that is my boss, essentially. And he just looks super uncomfortable in this bath. Yeah. I mean, I would be too, right? When's the last time you went to a bathhouse with a coworker? Even a, like a bathhouse in general to me, like a spa, absolutely. I'd go to a spa, sauna in a heartbeat anytime. But yeah, a bath just, baths to me just reek of not being clean. <laughs> so yeah, that's this is a little bit iffy. I take it you're not a public pool guy either then? <laughs> 
Um, I go to a public pool to like tan on the side, but actually go in. Oof, no. There's this major water park in the area, at Wet and Wild. It's not called Hurricane Harbor, mm-hmm. and that thing called the Lazy River. You know what the Lazy River is? Yeah, yeah, with the tubes. Yeah, and it's one of those things when you're a kid, you're like, man, this water's so warm, and you go in and you put your head under, and I, of course, oh, yeah. I'm sure at times I put it in my mouth and everything, and I think of it now, and I'm like, man, that is just a <laughs> disease-ridden cesspool in this 110-degree Texas heat. Thank you, by the way, for, <laughs> for painting that really, ex- really, really uh, clear picture for us. Exactly. That's what I'm here to do. <laughs> All right, back to the episode. While Balor and Aridin are taking this bath, Fial, Skian, and Ayla are continuing their journey. They come upon the city of Byleth, which is under siege. And basically the takeaway here for the viewer and for our heroes is that they are up against a powerful empire. Regardless of how young it may be, they are facing a giant. And they decide, hey, we're going to need some help here. We're going to need to hire some sellswords. But of course, sellswords cost money. So what do you do when you don't have money and you got to hire some help? Rob a bank. (laughs) So then we cut to a place called Deadwood, where our heroes attempt to do just that. They attempt to rob a bank in order to get the coin to hire these sellswords. But as soon as they arrive, it turns out that the bank has already been picked clean after the coup. So we get another little glimpse at some of the unrest here in the Empire ever since Merwin has taken over. They meet a snarky asshole of a dwarven banker, and it's at that moment that the Golden Army soldiers arrive. They assault the bank, and our heroes heroically hold them off. The bank is set on fire, and they use a back door to escape out in the nick of time. I absolutely love this scene, and when we get to favorite scene and favorite quotes, uh-huh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to this one because this dwarf... Is just not having it. He's not having it at all. Yeah. He doesn't care. And he's like, oh, he looks like you're worth more than anything in here. Like that, the bounce <laughs> he's posted. And this also reminds me of the movie Snatch, a guy Richie movie from 2000. Have you seen or heard of that? I have not. No. Okay. It's like a London gangster movie. Mm-hmm. And they go to rob these bookies, these like low life criminals, go to rob these bookies, these betting places. And it's after all the bets are off. So it's just coins. So it's this botched robbery where this person they're robbing is also just like, giving them snark and not paying any, like not under threat at all. She's like, you fucking losers. You obviously are not in any way threatening. You're not going to do anything. And so I got this vibe from this dwarven banker. And as he just leaves out that he just does not have a care in the world. No, he does not. All right, moving on. The episode continues. We jump back to Zentrea, where Empress Merwin is attacked in her own palace by a kitchen hand. And she is saved by a young, mousy-looking, nerdy motherfucker named Avalok. <laughs> Avalok is in the... Ha- we've got Aridin, we've got the Sparrowhawk, and we have the fox, Avalok. Now, Merwin is furious about how out of the loop she is about the goings-on in her empire. And she basically assigns Avalok as her protector. She's like, you have proven yourself. You saved me once. You can do it again. Aridin and Balor also put the Empress under house arrest at this point for, you know, quote unquote, her own quote, safety. Unquote. <laughs> for your, and he said, and Aridin said he's going to give her his best guard. And at this point, Merwin has to be thinking like, did they try to kill me? 
Right. Seems right. like things are going on. She's like, no, this dude proved himself. No thanks, Aridin, your best guard. And Balor, who's just over there, again, just brooding. Yeah. And, you know, we actually learn that there was more intention behind hiring Avalok as her guard as well. Because a little later on in the episode, she recruits him into her schemes against Aridin and Balor. She's basically like, hey, kiddo, buddy, I need you to spy for me. You are now officially my spy. And I need you to figure out the mysteries of the monoliths so that we don't have to rely on Balor anymore. So he doesn't have a monopoly on the monoliths. It's also against Avalok's wishes. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to die. I'm totally going to die. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Recruit is a very soft word for what she does yes. here. She basically blackmails him into it's doing it. It's basically impressing or pressing him into it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. After she recruits him, though, she takes his cloak because she wants to head out into the streets of Zintria and see for herself what's going on out there in her empire. And coincidentally, she runs into Aridin out in the streets and discovers that our guy has a secret lover, a lowly merchant. A secret forbidden lover. So Aridin in this is either gay or bisexual. Right. And it's another thing that when I saw it, I just was like, oh, man, that's going to be another thing that people just re against. And I was like, oh, man, I don't feel like looking. I don't feel like looking. You never go into the comments anyway, but I really don't feel like hearing the stuff from this. No, no. Don't go on the Witcher Reddit and type in Aridin because it's no. just it's just not a good time. I, I honestly have no feelings about it. Like I it's fine. It's whatever. What's more interesting to me is Avalok. <laughs> this like yeah. little Avalok kid. What are your thoughts on his portrayal? Because he has been quite controversial within the fan base as well. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is this is 1,200 years before, and as we've seen before, Netflix has changed and done their own thing with a lot of source material. So maybe the way that Avalok is portrayed in the books, which is beyond stoic, conniving, direct, this is a 180 from that portrayal. And maybe we'll get to see in something, whether it's this or another thing they create, Maybe we'll get to see how he becomes that. Yeah. And I just, I don't know why they would do it. It's it, In this case, it's fine. But a big thing is, this is to introduce us to him, to the Witcher series. And if they portray him in this same way, it's again, whatever. It's what they've decided to do. I'm sure it won't ruin the show or anything like that. It's just a stark difference from what we expected. It definitely took me out of it in his first couple of scenes. Then once I got used to it, I'm like, okay, that's the character. Yeah. You and I and other Witcher fans come into it with a preconceived Avalok in our minds. So seeing him portrayed here so differently, sure, it's a little disorienting, but I'm with you. Like, it took me, what, 30 seconds to accept him as the show's version of Avalok, and we'll just see, you know, what his journey is like and how he is portrayed in the series also in the in the Netflix series proper. I think your point about this being 1,200 years ago is also relevant because I don't know about you, but I'm not the same person I was even 10 years ago. Yeah. I've transformed over just a decade. And I, you know, you can imagine that Avalok goes through a couple of different phases in his life over the next 1,200 years. So I'm sure this is just one nerdy, mousy phase that we all had at some point that he is going through as well. I can't wait to see emo Avalok, you know, in his teenage years. <laughs> <laughs> wait, is this not it? 
<laughs> he looks like a teenager. <laughs> True. I, I don't, I, it's unclear what his age here is, but yeah, maybe Young. he's past the emo phase <laughs> yeah. already. Young yeah. for sure. Okay, back to the episode. After this failed bank heist, an injured skiing slows the whole group down as they try to heal her poisoned wound. She got hit during the fight with a poisoned blade, and uh, she's not in great shape, basically. And the group is not going to leave her behind. So while they're out scavenging for herbs to try and heal her, they run into Brother Death, who we saw in episode one back in Exposition City in that tavern. And he talks to them, and it's like tense for like 30 seconds, but then it's cool because it turns out he wants to join up with them. <laughs> they murdered, they killed the town that took him in. They killed the town that took him in. But yeah, he has the bounties. And he turns really quickly because, hey, this episode's like 40 minutes. We got to go. We got to yeah, go. We got to go, okay? go, go. Right. We got to go, go, go. All right. What do you think of the name Brother Death? I don't know why he's called Brother Death. So it's basically meaningless to me. And so I don't even have a take on it. I'm totally and utterly indifferent. Okay. I think it's a badass name. I, you're okay. right. We don't know anything about it, but just the name in itself. Like if someone was describing me, somebody, oh, this guy's out there. Somebody goes by Brother Death. I'm like, that's a fucking badass name. But I've heard some people that just like know that thought it was like lame as hell and cringy. And I'm just like, damn, it's uh, <laughs> it's interesting to get these like differing viewpoints, though. Right. But, right. Ma- but maybe it's like when like you said, when you heard the name, you took it with this character whom you didn't know. And maybe to me, I think of like the allure of what that could be. Because, yeah. yeah. He's joining up here in the middle of the second episode. You know, we got seven people that need to get together. Mm-hmm. And like we've, we've talked about, you need to get him in this scene and then you need to get him on their side. So let him monologue for a little bit saying they killed my family, my take home family and my friends. Yeah. And, okay. I, I'm with you. It's, and he's, this is where he says this also, he's heard their story and this sounds like a good story that he could be a part of. Right. Right. And, and that's about as much motivation as we get for him. I'll talk a bit more about that. And later in the day, brother race, death, we'll just let that. him kill people. He just wants to kill people. Like, oh, you're out there killing soldiers? Okay, cool. I'll do that. Totally. Although I did see a Reddit post that did a body count for how many on screen deaths people have. And brother death only kills one person on screen in this whole show. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, as soon as you said that, I was about to say, like, oh shit, did he kill anybody? <laughs> one guy. One guy. One person. I, I mean, it's implied. The scene like cuts away. It's implied he fights other people, but. We only ever okay. see him kill one guy. <laughs> who, who has the most? It's got to be Ayla, right? I think it's Ayla or Skiin. I forget Skiin. which one. Okay, yeah. yeah. That makes yeah. sense. So after they meet Brother Death, he agrees to join up with them and help them. He knows a healer, and he can take Skiin to this healer. And to get to the healer, they have to go through a spooky marsh. And the spooky marsh is where we get some background on Ayla and Fial because... This is, of course, a spooky magical marsh, and it makes them relive some of their trauma. We flash back to the things that clearly they're still carrying with them. And we learn a little bit about Fial's brother and the guilt that he feels about his brother's death. And then, of course, his complicated feelings about hooking up with Merwin and what she has done over the course of this show. With Ayla, it's a little more interesting. We flash back to what appears to be her mother or her family or her clan basically ordering her to kill innocents and even worse than that, kill innocent children seemingly as part of, you know, some sort of conflict. It was like and burning them alive. 
Yeah, yeah, like burning them alive. Hoof. It's tough. It's a very tough scene, and you can really understand why Ayla chose the life of a bard and did not want to continue being a warrior in the Raven Clan. But we get a little bit of background on these characters, and I did really appreciate that. I liked the spooky marsh scene. I really liked it. Like, I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting their backgrounds, like actually learning about their characters. I thought it was done in a good way without them just talking to each other. Like, it easily could have been done. But it seems like this that just upset me and anger me <laughs> when, they, when they and every other thing goes for this quippy Marvel bullshit where they have something that's intense and, just, and then they got to have a fucking quip. Or they got to have, you know, like in the middle of this battle scene, the Askier being like, fuckity, fuck, fuck, fuck. And it's like, it's that shit that takes me out of it because this shit is dark. Like I did not even watch, I skipped it on the third rewatch because I'm like, this shit is fucking too much. Like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this again. So when they go dark like this, it's like lean into that. And when you have your humor, do it at certain times when it's a downtime. And mm -hmm. it was something from Nightmare of the Wolf. And it's not just Witcher Netflix. It's every fucking thing post-Marvel now is we can't have any sincerity. We can't have any seriousness when there's danger. We have to have a funny quip to like levity. And it's like, no, like eat this stuff up right here. Like this is where you're trying to be super adult or even edgy or something lean into this weird, disturbing shit right here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think a couple of times throughout this show and other shows as well, you know, ever since you and I talked about the Marvel quippiness, I, I notice it everywhere now. But Oh, man. It, like it, it, it's Levity is all fine and well, but, you know, sparingly is the way to use it. Yeah, and that's what it is. And to, like, not to get into the thing about Marvel, like, they used it pretty well. And I don't blame them for doing it. I just blame other people for copying it and thinking like, oh, we have to do it that way now. Right. And it's like, no, you don't. If you want to do that, that's fine. Or if you want to make it super lighthearted. But if you're something like The Witcher here where you're fucking burning children alive and yeah. you're about to kill more children in a couple scenes and you've got all this stuff, like just, I don't know, just, oh, just no, 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 no. Don't be, be your own thing. Be something else. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, after we get the little flashback scenes, Fial and Ayla successfully survive the mist and make it through to the other side. And they link up with two more characters who will be joining them on this journey, Zachary and Sindril. And Sindril is someone we've seen before because he was locked up in the last episode. So seemingly he has escaped and we'll learn later how he did that. But Zachary is the healer and Sindril is, of course, the mage who discovered other worlds through the monoliths and seemingly worked with Balor to do that. Do you remember what Zachary did to Fial when Fial was kind of like coming at her? She hit him with an Ard. Yes, yes, we got a we got an Ard. That as soon as as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh shit, that's Ard. This must be have to do with the Witcher. Like, is she gonna like teach it? Is this gonna be like how we do it? And I just I got I was like, OK, good. They're kind of like laying that in there because it was a boom and like launched his ass, you know, like 10, 15 feet back. And I was like, OK, that's a little I, I'm a sucker for art. It's like a force push. Like it's of all the things. Yes, you can read minds. Yes, you can do that. But if I could just boom and just like knock people away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, God, that's I think I'd want that more than anything. Just for the fun of it. Yeah. I'm an Igni boy myself in my yeah, yeah. latest Witcher run. I just maxed out my Igni and I'm just spouting flames everywhere. The flamethrower on that and with the melt armor you get, it's oh just, gosh. you just turn in like a circle. It's just, oh, that's so much fun. That's on my first playthrough. I got that, that little twirl 
And I just went around just twirling everybody and just burning <laughs> them down, just pyromancy. <laughs> You'll be getting an email from the Raven Clan pretty soon. They love that, they love that shit. <laughs> the burn- They're not children. Right. I didn't put that mod in. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. The kill children mod. God. Speaking of dark. All right. So next up, we cut to a scene where we rejoin Meldoff, who is painting with the blood of a dead Taliesin laying next next to her. So she has seemingly finally hunted him down and killed him. And from the scene, we learn that he was a rapist and a murderer and that she hunted him down to seek vengeance for her lover. And we can connect some dots here and assume that her lover's name was Gwen, the hammer or the person in her mind that she's seemingly talking to. So the next scene, we rejoin Balor, who is up to his bullshit again. He has this time taken a pair of what we're told are celestial siblings to this other world where the mysterious blue ball is, and he offers them up as sacrifice. And what he gets from this sacrifice of these young children is just a taste, just a taste of the incredible chaos magic that the blue floating ball can offer him. But it turns out that two measly celestial siblings is not enough of a sacrifice for him to truly earn that chaos magic. And so he is told that he needs to come up with something that's truly a sacrifice and not just murder children. Yeah. And again, as we just talked about before, takes these two kids. Oh, we're going on an adventure. Meet a friend of mine. And then turns and looks, and I remember thinking, he's like, is he going to fucking kill? Oh, 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 my God. Drops them dead. Like, not even off screen. They just, shoo, and they fall down. And I was like, okay, this is dark. Like, we are really going in. Because like we've spoken before and talked about ad nauseum, the breakneck speed of this show. Right. Where when something happens, you then have to just go on to the next thing. Boom, 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 boom. But this is one of those things where I'm like, we just saw some children getting, like, burned in this dream, like, alive and screaming. We now see two kids in this moment. It's sacrificed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, did he just sacrifice them and get nothing out of it? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough scene because sadly, like, right when that scene started and he was like, come with me, I have to show you something. I was like, there's no way, you know, like these kids are not making it out of this scene alive. And I think importantly, it shows us just how far Balor is willing to go. Yeah, he's not even going to think twice about it. Shows us the type of character he is. So after that scene, we are then whisked back to Zentrea, where Merwin basically makes her move. She shows up at Aridin's lover's house to strike a bargain with the high commander. She offers to make Aridin's lover the ambassador of trade to the new world, because remember, he's a merchant, and she offers to give him a seat on her future council. In return, what she wants for that is for Aridin to basically turn against Balor to side with her, and also for Aridin to make sure that he finds Fial, keeps him alive, and brings him back to her. So clearly, the princess more in love with Fial than perhaps Fial was in, in love with her. <laughs> but why? She, she knows that that was his sister that she slit the throat of. Right, right. Like, why, why do you think she wants him back? It's interesting because I, I had the same thought where 
I was confused. Like she, we know she's a smart person. She's like already playing politics against Aridin and Balor. I feel like she'd be smart enough to realize that Fial would not want her back after everything that's happened. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think she there's a bit of disillusionment here, and I think she's convinced herself that she can win over Fial again, and the two of them can rule together. You know, I think it's there's a little bit of fantasizing with this character, right? She sees herself as Solrith. You know, she sees herself as the future leader of all of Elfkind. She can revolutionize the world. She can leave her mark on the world. And I think this plays into some of that fantasizing where she probably, when her and Fial were hooking up back in the day, she probably dreamed about ruling the kingdom with him. And now she's trying to make it a reality. Yeah, I guess also maybe the megalomania of just if he does find out, she'll be like, oh, that, that's in the past. Why are you thinking about that? Right. Like, I, I don't know. It just seemed very, it seemed far stretched in a very easy way for her to get eye to eye with Fjall to say, bring him back. Don't kill him. I actually want him like as my husband or whatever. So yeah. I don't know. It just, it seemed very much against her character, like you mentioned, that we know she's smart. We know she's uh, not diplomatic, not conniving, but meticulous in plan. Like she's putting this whole plan together. She's done all these things. That just seems really out of left field. Yeah, I agree. This caught me off guard and it seems out of character for her to still be obsessing over Fial. She's She's the empress now, you know? She doesn't need him. Yeah. All right, let's wrap up this episode. We return to... Our heroes who have now connected with Zachary and Central. And Zachary heals, ski and swoons, poison is taken care of. She's good. She's feeling 110%. And Fial walks over and basically confronts Central. He's like, buddy, give me some exposition. What's going on here? And Central gives Fial and the viewer a quick recap of events and reveals that there's a bigger problem here than even Merwin. And her coup attempt, because it turns out that we are now just mere days away from the world being ripped apart unless the master monolith that's located in Zintria in the palace is destroyed. And it's at this point that Zachary and Sindril basically decide, hey, you all won't be able to complete this quest without our help. Let us help you. We can actually get you to Zintria because there is a way to travel between monoliths, and that's something that even Balor doesn't know. So we have the element of surprise here. So they join up with the group, and they decide to set out on this plan to use the monoliths to travel. And the episode ends on them going to the nearest monolith, jumping into a portal, and ending up in some random world that is not their own. And Ayla does the one thing you're just not supposed to do in any horror movie or whenever you're lost somewhere you don't know. She walks up to a glowy thing and pokes it. And it turns out the glowy thing is the tendril of a monster. And it jumps out of the water and leaps after her and chases after her. And boom, that's where we cut to black. That's where we cut to credits. And that's where episode two ends. Yeah, the, the ending. Um, <laughs> I, feel, I feel so bad for the editor. Yep. For the director, yep. for Declan DeBar, the showrunner, for whoever it was that was told or figured out that this is where they had to end it. Because spoken before, they've had to rush this down to four episodes or put it down to four episodes from six. I think it's very clear 
this was not intended to be the ending of an episode. No, it was the, very awkward. <laughs> it, it was awkward. It ended off screen. Like yeah. it ended with the monster and Ayla running off screen. It didn't come directly at her. Like you would see a cinematic end or something where Ayla gets knocked down and you see anything like that. It was so abrupt. I literally at first thought my internet went out and I was about to, <laughs> I was about to be pissed. I literally got up to like smack my PlayStation and then the credits came on. I was like, did I hit ahead? Like, did I skip ahead? And I went back and had to rewatch it. And it's just stuff like that that I just feel bad because there's no way that the editor or the director is just like, this is not the way to end it. Like, this is just not. But it is probably the only way you could do it to make it somewhat of a cliffhanger. So it was it was very awkward and unfortunate and just something you can tell is not meant to happen. Yeah, this was we talked about the pacing last episode, but this was like a very obvious example of a show that used to be six episodes getting cut down to four. Cause th this is like an edit, like in the middle of a thing where they were yeah. just like, fuck, we're at, we're at 40 minutes and uh, we need the something dramatic so to short. end on. Yeah. It was a shorter episode. They could have gone to an hour. It was like 46 minutes with credits, I think, or something with like credits, that. Yeah. With like 47? six minutes of credits. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Th th this was a stark example of things getting compressed down to four episodes and it actually hurting the show in a way that, that just feels bad. I, I mean, I edit videos and I edit audio like a, as a podcast producer. And if I had to make this cut and submit it for publishing, I would be ashamed. <laughs> See that, and that's the thing that like, again, it's, it's not their fault. And maybe we're just talking out of our ass or maybe whoever knows this stuff can do it. But you're right. It's it's something where when it happens, I instantly think of the editor. I think of the director. And I'm like, there's no way that anybody was just like, yes, this is the good, this is a good way to end it. It's one of those things that just had to happen because of it. Totally. Totally. Okay, Brett, that wraps up our summary of episode two. Let's take a short breather. But after the break, we'll get into our key takeaways. So don't go anywhere, dear listener. There's still more to talk about, and we will see you in a minute. Welcome back, everyone. Let's continue our discussion about Blood Origin Episode 2 and talk about our takeaways. And just like last time, there are two key things that we're going to discuss here briefly. I'm interested in your thoughts on them, Brett, because for me, this episode was enjoyable, much like the first, but... I could only enjoy it if I sort of like turned my brain off and thought of it as like a fun adventure story. As soon as I start to think like more critically about it, some things start to like fall apart for me and some cracks start to show. And specifically, the two areas that I want to discuss with you are character motivations in this episode and in the series thus far, and just sort of uh, this quest. That, that, that this fellowship is on. We called it a fellowship in the last episode because these two things are getting a little fuzzier and fuzzier for me as we go. And I think a lot of that relates to some of the pacing issues that we discussed last time as well. Let's start by talking about character motivation. What did you think about the characters and what we know about their journey so far? Because we meet three new people who join up with our crew in this episode. So now we're up to a total of six people in this fellowship. Brother Death, Sindral, Zachary, in addition to Skian, Ayla, and Fial. And besides the spooky marsh 
mist scene that we talked about in the summary, we don't really get a whole lot of background on the characters. And thus we, at least I think we like, just like barely get motivation for why they're doing this, why they're risking their lives doing this. Yeah. I think it's impossible though, to discuss all this without talking about the pacing. Cause it's, if I've, I've enjoyed the show so far, hundred percent, like you've said to me, what I've learned is, have you heard of the movie Amsterdam that came out this year? No. Okay. The movie Amsterdam came out this year. I rewatched the trailer and it portrays a different movie than what it was. It makes it think that it's like a mystery and they're trying to solve this stuff. It is not. There's a conspiracy involved, but it is not that type of movie. And I went in there and I was like, this movie fucking sucks because it's not <laughs> what it was. What I'm doing, and it's what's helped, especially with Netflix, Witcher, it's everything, is I'm going to go into a show with the least amount of expectations of me trying to predict anything. And I'm going to sit in this roller coaster, or in this case, we talked about a speeding train that is starting to <laughs> kind of like shake. And yeah. I'm going to be like, entertain me. What are you trying to do? Oh, you're trying. Oh, this is a breakneck, breakneck, fast speed show where you got a lot of characters and we don't learn a lot about them. Okay. will be fucking interesting. Show me good fucking fight scenes. Have, you know, like some, at least something dialogue that I can be like, oh man, that's so bad. It's good. Or something that makes me laugh. Anything like that. And so with this and the character motivations, it's what it is, what it is, you know, like we're not going to get, as soon as they said it went from four episodes to six, I was like, well, fuck, of course we're not, we're not going to know these characters. We can't like, maybe we'll know a couple of them, but they just can't do it. And like you said, brother death who had one scene and no lines in the first episode <laughs> is here in the second episode. We just don't have time to get in there. We get that he has a relationship with Zachary, mm -hmm. but with just stuff like that, you know, get on with it. Oh, the, he's part of the gang now. Awesome, man. I like your name. Brother death's a cool name. You got a fucking cleaver. I want right. to see you fucking cleave somebody. Apparently it's only <laughs> one person that he cleaves. Now I'm disappointed in that. But with something like that, let's just, let's fucking go. Yeah. We kind of have to accept that, right? Like, yeah. let's fucking go is all we're going to get from these four episodes. And despite like my deep desire to really get to know these characters, we get maybe a line or two of dialogue that explains some brief motivation. Again, Brother Death is an example of that in this episode. For me, that's just a tough pill to swallow because the mission that they're on is killing the Empress? Like, that is a huge ask. And I just, I don't need to have like a huge back. I don't need to know Brother Death's whole life story, but I need enough motivation to yeah. believe that this dude is ready to like, I don't know, take down the prime minister of this universe. No, I will admit when you threw out there what their motivation is. I was like, oh, it's to destroy the monoliths. I'd kind of forgotten that this whole thing started off as kill the Empress. Right, right. Yeah. That's what Fial and Aelo want. Yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously, Zachary and Sindral are con more concerned about the monoliths, as he explains in this it's episode. Like they team up to do the same thing. Like, they're, yeah. okay, I'll, you need me to do this? Okay, well, help me do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, you, you brought it up, but the, it, it just goes back to that original point of pacing and, and it goes into the next thing you have on here about why are they trusting each other but it's why ayla and fial are the only two characters to me that one that i really care about and that makes sense because we got to see them for an entire episode that was their episode right and that's the thing here where i believe in those two because we got to see them actually meet we got to see their background 
And now you're right. It's just this dude shows up and it's like, oh, you're trying to, you're, tr- you're against the empire? Okay, I'm with you. And yeah, they're just like, okay, we'll go with them. Because at any moment, these motherfuckers could just be asleep. Someone slits their throat and they got a big ass bounty. Yeah, yeah, Which exactly. is what he had. Brother Death had the bounties with him. Right, right. He knows the price tag on their <laughs> yeah. necks, you know? Like, yeah. hey, that's got to be tempting. Staying up one night, just like reading the price tag, like, oh, I don't know. That's a lot of zeros. <laughs> he see, he sees a wagon go by someone with an even nicer, bigger cleaver. And he's like, fuck, I could have that. Yeah. I could oh, have that man. cleaver. <laughs> so this actually does lead into the second thing I wanted to chat about, which is like what this quest is, right? Like Fial and Ayla are out to kill the Empress and get some sort of redemption because their clans have been wiped out. Skian wants her sword, remember? Let's not forget the sword. And then Sindril and Zachary are concerned with the monoliths and the end of the world and the coming conjunction of spheres. Brother Death is up for a good time and a good story. What kind of gets at me, though, is like, sure, they have their goals, but we so rarely see them talk about it. Like, what is the game plan? Like, they're seemingly just like beelining towards Zintria. You know, they're playing Fortnite like I do. Just run to the middle as fast as I can. That's a great way to get wiped and not win the game. Again, pacing is just the answer to all of this. But I I just wish we had taken some moments to like slow down and spend some time with these folks figuring out the plan. Or perhaps, you know, not all of their plans align perfectly. So maybe there's some competing motivations here. That would have caused some tension in the group that would have added some extra drama to the show. But again, no time for that. We just have to go, go, go. So everyone just buys into the plan and they're just like figuring it out as they go. It's revenge. Like you said, that that's what it started off as, as, oh, this is going to happen. Oh, they've already taken over. It's pretty much for revenge, which I'm all for that. I'm all for the small stakes, like. When they start talking about the monoliths, when they start talking about the end of the world, I know conjunction and all that stuff. Like, we know it's going to happen. Yeah. But any talk of it is where I lose interest, where it's it's the end of the world. Everything does not have to be the end of the world. Yeah. Give me small stakes. You know, when we talk about The Witcher 3, it is so much more compelling for me, Geralt trying to find Ciri because it's his daughter and the hunt is after her. That's all he needs to know. And then they bring in this end of the world of White Frost stuff, which is good for series motivation. But I'm just like, oh, it's end of the world. I've seen this a billion fucking times in every single fucking thing ever created. You know, it's kind of like when you go back to Game of Thrones. It was always the real world politics and interests that interested me more than the White Walker. Everything's going to die. It's going to be the winter, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, I've I've heard that before. Like, I, I don't care about that. Give me the character moments. Give me those character motivations. And so when I think hard, that's when I start to displace it like you've mentioned there. But as I've said already, I've taken three shots of tequila. <laughs> I've got my tall boy and I'm on the fucking roller coaster and I've got my popcorn and I'm just like, give me fucking stuff to look at. And maybe that's just been my adaptation to enjoy stuff like this. But it's just in general, as I just get older, I don't want to hate watch stuff anymore. Like I want to enjoy stu- uh, enjoy things I watch because I don't have all the time anymore. And so with something like this, I can find the way to do it. And <laughs> I just, I'm just thinking here again, like you said there about, about like bro- Brother Death coming in and being like, oh, who are you? Okay, I'll join you. And then we have it. We, we, next episode, we'll get to Meldoff, who now has nothing to do. 
Right. And it's just like, she's going to join. She hasn't joined in by now. And so it is. It's just funny when I think about that. But it's like, fuck it. They're here. They're going to wreck some shit. Let's see it. Yeah. It, I mean, maybe I should also be doing three shots of tequila before I, I you know, rewatch these episodes. <laughs> like, I mean, like I said, I can enjoy it as a purely adventure tale turn my brain off it's when we when we sit down and like script yeah. our discussions and do rewatches and watch it again two or three times that the cracks begin to show on a first watch when i just blasted through the first four episodes initially right when they came out i was just like that was fun that, that was my only reaction i was like that was kind of a good time and there were some fun moments in there and the fights were cool then i rewatched and i was like wait a second What's everyone's motivation here? Why aren't they talking about the plan? What's going on? But that's at least the thing. And I'll, I'll again, bef- putting the cart before the horse before we get to episode four and all that. So far in this, I have enjoyed this so much more than The Witcher. Oh, really? So mu- yes, because it has these moments here where it's breakneck, boom, 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 boom. So much of The Witcher is this backstory stuff and this real world and all this end of the world. I'm talking all that where I'm just like, I, it, it, that did not connect with me as much because I just didn't think it was as well done as other things. At least with this, there's no time when you're watching it to be annoyed by something because it's, <laughs> it's boom, 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 boom. And you go to the next thing. Yeah. And it's, it's when, you know, if you're watching YouTube shorts or TikToks or anything like that, you can just, oh, that's not good. That's not good. That's, oh, that's good. That's okay. And that gets you. And then, oh, that's just dumb. And then two Two things later, 10 seconds later, something else is there to entertain you and you don't even think about that other stuff. But yes, because the curse of us being podcasters, we do we do have to think of it. And my analogy again goes back to this is a speeding bullet train that is shaking by the rails. It's putting the rails in front of it. And at any moment, it could fly off. And, <laughs> and, and maybe that will be next episode because... I've never seen, I've never watched a show like this that has been this briskly, I'm sorry, this isn't briskly paced, this speeding pace in what yeah. they're doing. And so a lot of the thoughts that we're talking about here come back to episode three and that's where, that's where, uh, you know, it's, you, that's where a lot of this will kind of come to a head to me. The pacing and the story of everything to me comes to a head really at episode three. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm excited to talk about three as well. The last thing I'll say about this point before we move on to our favorite scenes and our favorite quotes is actually something I'm just now thinking of because before we hit record, you and I were chatting about Lord of the Rings and you brought up Boromir and how much you love Boromir. And honestly, I just, I wish we had like at least one Boromir character in here at some point. Like there, everyone has bought into the plan so much. Yeah. All six of these people who have joined up so far. Like, Brother Death would have been the perfect Boromir character. Is he going to slit our throats in the middle of the night? Can we trust this guy? His name is fucking name Brother, is Brother Death. Death. <laughs> yes. Like, we're talking about leaning into things, lean into Brother Death and, yeah. and him being like a fucking weirdo or just the psych. I mean, like you said, they don't ever say why he's named that, but you can imagine, actually, nobody might fucking call him Brother Death. He might be like Kobe. He calls himself Brother Death. <laughs> he might be like Kobe and say, yeah, my nickname is Black Mamba. Like, wait, who could, no, no, I give myself that nickname. He might just could be like, I'm fucking Brother Death now. Yeah. yeah. We don't know. Mm, look at him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good on him. Uh, yeah. I, I love that for him. But I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is like, there was, there was weight and tension even within a fellowship that all agreed on this plan to take this fucking ring to this mountain. And 
here we have a group that is all just agreeing to a crazy crackpot plan that no one has really thought through. And everyone is immediately bought in and trusting each other and has each other's back. And we don't have some of that like tension and sort of intergroup dynamics that make watching something like The Fellowship so fun. Because then you watch The Fellowship fall apart. And, yeah. and I, 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 that's, again, we don't have time. Again, the train's got to keep going. No, you know, there's no conductor. Like, choo-choo, we got to keep going as fast as possible. So there's no time for there to be any drama like that in here. But it, it's certainly something that I missed. No, I, I loved that point you made because everybody in the fellowship had bought into doing it. But you're right. Boromir was the one that's like, is this motherfucker going to take the ring? Is right. he going to do right. it? But he, but he was the only one. And you had that tension. The other tension you had came from Gimli and Legolas, who didn't like each other because yes. dwarves and elves. So you, you had their tension, but that tension wasn't going to tear apart the fellowship, you know, it was just like these two fucking people over there. And she's like, okay, y'all two handle that. But just the idea of just Boromir there held that drama. And yeah, no, if you're right, if they could have, again, I don't, the last thing this show needs is to add anything into it, <laughs> but you know, brother death coming in there and then Zachary, them being an item. What if somebody didn't like brother death? What if someone, right. when they came up and they're like, who are you? And the guy's like, I know who that is. That guy goes by brother death. He did so-and-so fuck that dude. And then you have this like, well, we need you, we need them. But again, maybe I'm gonna, uh, I, I, we gotta find out what was cut from this show. I like, know. Seriously, like we have to because I, what she said, what Lauren Hisrick said, I might have said this in the first ep, uh, first episode, I don't remember, is they cut out a lot of the slower stuff, obviously, because they've left in everything to move, boom, 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 right. and go. <laughs> and like that's the shit they would have cut out is the backstory, is you know, in exposition done not as clunky as what it was there. And maybe that's, maybe they did cut that out. And it's stuff like that that just, it sucks that it was cut out. Because it could have, it would have made this so much better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I would have loved a little bit of that slower stuff. But alas, here we are. All right, well, let's wrap up our episode today, Brett, by sharing what we did like about this episode. Let's share our favorite scene and our favorite quote. And I'll let you go first. What was your favorite scene from today? My favorite scene was the fucking Dwarven Banker. Like, yep. yeah. And it's, I know you had the same thing, the fight at the bank. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be a hypocrite right here. Cause people are going to be like, people are going to be like, well, Brett, didn't you just say intense moments? You didn't want funny quips and you didn't want humor. And my fucking favorite thing is at the end, he says, die slowly <laughs> assholes and jumps through the thing. And he's snarky through there. And we're supposed to be fearing for their lives. And he does that. And I'm fucking dying laughing and I love it. So yep. maybe, I, maybe, maybe I only like it when it makes me laugh, <laughs> when I think it's done. But this also wasn't in the middle of a fight. This was the beginning when we were seeing things and he had already led into this asshole snarkiness by, you know, saying like, no dickheads, there's only one way in, one way out. And the, all of that. <laughs> so I, I loved that dwarven, that dwarven banker. And he doesn't come back. I'll spoil that. He doesn't come back. I was I hoping know, when, they went, when they left through the trap door, I'm like, we're going to see the banker again. They got to go by the banker. And we didn't see anything. They just like disappeared out of the city. I was like, fuck. What a tease. <laughs> Glad you love the banker so much. Yeah. My favorite scene was the exact same one. The bank heist scene for different reasons. I also enjoyed the Dwarven Banker for sure, but I actually really liked the hold the line, get in formation fight sequence. 
We talked about how the fight sequence in episode one was really good. It was also really good here too. Well choreographed, well shot. Again, none of that shaky camp bullshit. I knew exactly what was happening and when it was happening and who it was happening to. And what I really enjoyed was getting to see our three warriors work together and get in this formation. And what was cool is like how much they trusted each other, right? Like Skian would maybe like just dodge a guy and push him back, knowing that Ayla was right behind her and would knife that dude in the eye or whatever. Like that trust that they had for each other, that fighting as a clan, that fighting together was really well translated in the way this fight was choreographed. And I liked seeing that at least until Ayla broke formation and lost her cool. But that's, you know, of course that's got to happen. <laughs> the young Padawans still have uh, to learn, but no, this, the fight scenes are the best thing out of this show. The, the songs are, it's, it, the songs of the fight scenes, both are up there. The yes. combat is great. It is excellent. I don't know if, I don't really watch that much. I'll admit that, but I can't think of anything I've enjoyed more of watching these small scale fights because of how they do. They stick with the longer take. You can see what happens. It's not boom, boom, boom. It's not shaky cam. Like you said, it's not quick cut, quick cut, quick cut. And yeah, to see this here, she said the formation. So, oh, they're working together. You don't have to, you didn't have to tell us. You didn't have to say, remember what I taught you form up. We can figure that out that she's got onto y'all when y'all first met. That you didn't work as a team, you didn't trust each other. Now we got to see them do it. Great, you know, visual storytelling and character development in the sense of doing it that way. Yeah, it was cool. I loved it. All right, what about favorite quote? What was your favorite line from today? I mean, it was "Die slowly, assholes." I kind of, <laughs> I kind, I kind of already already said that. <laughs> the main thing is. With something like this, so many things just didn't even stick out to me. Because like I said, and that's not a knock on it. You know, this isn't this isn't Game of Thrones. This isn't where we're going to have 12 minutes of two people talking. And we're going to write the shit out of it. It's going to be this action. It's going to be boom, boom, boom. It's going to be entertaining in that way. But the Die Slowly Assholes has stuck with me so much. And I can still see that shit-eating grin from that dwarf <laughs> as he just went down that trap door. Yeah, give that guy an Emmy too. You know, he he really brought it to that scene as well. We gotta see. Please bring him. He's a little too old, but I was like, man, this make him Zoltan. Oh <laughs> I want I want I want him back. Yeah. I want him back. I'm making like Zoltan's angry uncle or something. Right, Some right, angry right. dwarf. Bring him back. We know Shaharawed is going to be the first episode of season three. They've said that script. Dwarven wagon train. Put this motherfucker back on there. Right. Polly Dahlberg, Reagan Dahlberg. There you go. There you go. We need him back. Bring back the asshole banker. <laughs> For me, my favorite line from episode two, I'm actually going to go a little deeper this time around. You, you got the jokey line this time, so I get the serious one. For me, it was Balor saying, quote, history is littered with fools who believed the same, end quote. And this is in response to Aridin saying, quote, stories can be put down with steel, end quote. And I know I said it earlier that this was a bit on the nose and it felt a little cringy to me, but this line did stay with me. And it's just because it rings true, right? Like stories are powerful and they can change the world. And if you are anyone like us, like you and I both love stories, we wouldn't have invested this much time and effort into The Witcher if we didn't love a good story and didn't love a good universe. That idea is so central to what I believe. I, I truly believe stories are 
one of the most powerful tools that humans have. And I really liked that Balor said this here. And that Balor was very clear to Aridin that your swords, your steel, your armor means nothing, can do nothing in the face of a story or a myth that can really burrow its way into people's hearts. And that, of course, is true both in the fictional universe of The Witcher and also in our real world as well. So loved the line. It stayed with me and it rings true. I I fully believe in it. Yeah. And that's what history is. And again, as someone with a history degree who has studied it to this day, 2023, these myths and legends persist of what people think as actual history because people want to believe it. And it's something that's been passed down and down. And even something like Homer, the Iliad and the Odyssey, there's still people who are just like, oh yeah, that would like, that happened, right? And I'm like, well, no, that was something passed down there. There was a Troy, you know, there was these ancient Greeks and all of that. But as far as like this battle site, oh yeah, it was probably here. Nothing from there do we know actually happened. It's probably all just a story to entertain people. Or just a legend passed down. They got changed, changed, changed. Maybe it was something that started off as something that really happened and then became fantastical through the years because it's fucking interesting. And something like that we're reading thousands of years later. And so with this right here, you're right. A sinned thing where it's just like, oh, it's a very screenwriter line right there. History's littered with fools who believe the very same. It is, totally. but it's good. It's a yeah. good line and it works because we can immediately think about it again, me putting it to history and saying like, yeah, you can kill people but you can't really kill an idea. Yeah. Good and bad, as we're seeing now, again, real world of stuff that was stamped out, you know, 100 years ago or so, can always come back because people will keep hearing the story and they'll want to believe it. Yeah. Ooh, Brett, that gave me goosebumps. <laughs> you can kill people, you can't kill an idea. Have you tried writing a Witcher TV show? Because <laughs> Well, I've done, I've done Witcher things. also teach history, so that kind of helps. That helps too, yeah. I wrote the Witcher audio drama. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I love it. I mean, my personally, my favorite part of the Iliad is the asshole banker that tells them to die slowly. (laughs) Pass down through the years. A tale as old as time. Well, Abu, podcasts are podcasts. Lesser, greater, middling. They're all the same. But we've completed our contract and it's time to collect our reward. So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the path.